With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Pause I Am Radio with your host, Robert Brining. Sharing stories from across the United States and around the world. To join the conversation, call 929-477-3572. That's 929-477-3572. Each week, we'll bring you our exclusive HIV scoop with Josh Robbins and your positive message from Rise Up to HIV and Kevin Maloney. Your weekly dose of hope. Pause I Am Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon, Brady. How are you? Welcome, everyone. Uh, good afternoon, Robert. How are you doing up there in Philly? Oh, I'm doing great. It's nice and chilly here. We got the heat on. <laughs> and uh, yes, enjoying ourselves this Sunday. Same there? Yes, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's just a nasty cold rain. But you can definitely tell fall is in the air, and I love it. I love it too. I like the the the, the turn of of the weather, uh, the change of seasons. I kind of I kind of is what I really like. So fall is one of my favorites. It's time to pull out the sweaters and and kind of watch the leaves. You know. Yes. Speaking of, it looks like you had a great fun weekend this weekend. Yeah, you know, I had um, tickets that uh, I purchased a few months ago to this event called RetroCon, and it took place here in uh, Oaks, PA, which is not far from Philadelphia, like 45 minutes. And, you know, I've never been to a Comic-Con or anything like that before, and it was, I have to say, very interesting. Uh, They had, you know, contests for costumes and T-shirts and people there who voiced uh, cartoons from the the 80s and 90s, Doing autographs, uh, I got to uh, meet the guy who did the voice for uh, Lionel from Thundercats and Coco Puffs, and he also does the voice for um, I can't forget the other one, just Coco Puffs and uh, uh, someone else. And then I got to meet a gentleman who does the voice for uh, Man at Arms, which is a Masters of the Universe character who I'm a fan of. So I got my pop sign there, and I guess the big names uh, that were supposed to be there was uh, Melindy Britt, who does the voice of she which was kind of the main reason I was going. Um, but there was also bonuses of Jem. The girl who does the voice of Jem was there, who was really uh, right. awesome, Samantha Newark. And also Sergeant Slaughter, if you're a G.I. Joe fan or a wrestler. Cool. That is so, I was watching you on social media. I could tell you were having a blast. And speaking of things from, from back in the day, I'm excited about our guest, Mark King. Yeah, Mark is actually, I was looking at it online, and this is actually his sixth time on the show. He's, I think, one of, if not the most uh, returning guests. Uh, Mark is just fun. He's one of my favorite people. When I first came out um, with Pause I Am and, you know, started doing activism, Mark was one of those those names out there who was, at the time, considered a long-term survivor. So, you know, 10 years later, me still doing this and him still out there writing his blogs and articles and 
his book, A Place Like This, we're going to speak a little bit about when he comes on, um, and just a little bit of his story. He's led a very interesting life from winning a car on a game show to a night with Rock Hudson, which maybe we can uh, get a little details on. Right, yeah, I can't wait to dig a little bit deeper on all of that. He, I have to admit, when I got into advocacy about four years ago or so, the very first time I was in a room with Mark King, you know he's there. His presence is inevitable. He is a tall, redheaded man and just husky, attractive. You know when Mark King is in the room. Right, that's funny. He's not shy at all. <laughs> nope. No, and that too. He will. He will have. You can usually, whenever there's a group of people laughing, you, they're usually congregated around Mark King. Yeah, it's true. I mean, if you watch any of his videos or his uh, or read his blogs, his humor, his wittiness, his the way that he tells his story, it, it captivates the audience. And I remember sitting in a session at Positive Living, and I remember he was actually wearing uh, a Paz M shirt. Um, which at the time I had like a little, like, you know, one of those uh, cafe press stores. And, you know, he was, he was sharing about his blog and his story and just the way that he, he delivers it. It just, it just, like I said, it captivates you and it makes you laugh. And at the end of the day, you you leave feeling good after hearing Mark King speak. Absolutely. He is an amazing storyteller. And, and like you just said, he knows how to, to make you cry and laugh and deliver a message that, that everyone in the audience needs to hear. Um, and he presents it in a way that really makes it, makes it memorable and it sticks with you. So, so I'm excited to talk with him more here in a little bit. Yeah. So for those who don't know who Mark King is, uh, you can go to his website. It is uh, markesking.com. Uh, he also is the author of his notorious blog, uh, My Fabulous Disease. He is, an amazingly funny man. So let's go ahead and bring on Mr. Funny himself. Mark King, are you there? I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. Hello. Hi, Robert. Hello, How sir. are you? Good. I am well. And and Brady Dale Morris, with you and your you and your adorable little profile pictures on Facebook. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoy. I'm glad you approve. That make, that makes my day. <laughs> oh yes, I approve. I follow you, of course, both of you. How are you doing, my darlings? Good. We're good. We're so excited to have you on today. So I feel like Paul Simon on Saturday Night Live. I've been appeared more than anybody. You know? Yes, you are the most appeared. I've appeared. That's amazing. That's amazing. And you're telling and you're telling your audience I was a long term survivor ten years ago. <laughs> right. Right. That's what we all considered. Right. You know. Who would have well, thought that, uh-huh, that well, you know, all this would still be going? Well, as I like to say to youngins like you, I have HIV antibodies older than you. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, indeed. Familiar. Mark, you were diagnosed in, what, 85? Yes, correct. So that's as soon as the what, test um, came out. Right? What would you say? As soon as, as, soon as the out? test came out. Yeah. Right. I, um, I, I mean, for those keeping track, I probably was, uh, uh, I was probably in, infected in 1981 because that was my summer of love in West Hollywood. I had moved to West Hollywood that summer and was uh, quite the boy about town, shall we say. So, um, and uh, as we looked back through my medical records when I was diagnosed, I was very sick that summer. 
and I'm I'm I, I feel fairly sure that was probably when I serial converted the summer of uh, 1981. So, but so hey, you know, people, uh, who's counting? Who's counting? For some people who may not be familiar uh, with your story, Mark, can you just give a little bit about like what it was like when you were diagnosed? Because back in '85, you know, it was a different story as we look at it now in 2018. And, um, you know, the history of it is important, and the way that individuals felt when they were diagnosed in 85 is something that I think needs to be remembered. Because a lot of time, um, people who are diagnosed now, like it's, it's, for me, it's easier, I feel like, being diagnosed now. It's, it's more cooler to be out about it. Uh, there's U equals U. There's medications. There's PrEP. You know what I mean? I feel like it's kind of not something that people are scared of, as right. where in 85 it was, you know, very scary. Well, it was. And, you know, <clears throat> I try to walk that line between honoring our history and, and making sure we tell the story. And I am a storyteller. I like to share the tale. And that line between doing that and being the old man on the front lawn with a rake saying, back in my day when we were t- diagnosed, you know. But that said, <laughs> it was, in fact, a very different time. And, um, you know, when the test came out, you weren't supposed to take it. It was politically incorrect to take it. The activists, like, you know, were telling people don't take the test because nothing could happen. There were no drugs. There were not a single drug to treat it. And so the only thing that you knew for sure was that you would be discriminated against. You could get fired from your job. You know, you couldn't get a manicure in West Hollywood where I lived. I mean, even the gays were discriminating against one another because we were all scared to death. And, um, and it was a time of great mortality. And, you know, I was 24 years old when I, when I tested positive and all of these life questions, you know, the thing that's the most, I think that has the most impact as I look back on it was you think you have your whole life to figure things out. You know, what is life? Why are we here? Who is God? All of the big questions, you know, and then suddenly they're all condensed into two short years. I'm going to be dead in two years. What do I need to know? How do I want to feel? What kind of person do I want to be? What what impact do I want to make? What is the meaning of all of this? You know, um, when you're faced with your good friends dying. And, and certainly I lost um, those who were closest to me um, in my immediate circle. They were, and I had friends dying in the guest room. Um, And uh, you know, just, just to go through that, that walking nightmare for uh, years and years and years and not being able to wake up from it. And yet at the same time, watching how we responded to that, you know, the, right. the creation of all the, the organizations, which are now Goliaths in the industry now, in the, um, and the, the love we showed one another, and the fact that even within all of that, we knew how to stand up for ourselves and demand somebody do something about this. You know, um, just right. uh, an amazing time. I wasn't much of an activist. I mean, I wasn't like... I was scared of those act up people, you know, who were storming, you know, storming the churches and crawling on the roof of the FDA and, and all of that. I, I, that, that I didn't feel like I was somebody like that. I, I worked for an agency that helped people die with dignity. 
And and right. that's what I did. That was my first job is I, I helped people, helped train volunteers who were with the dying because that's and, and, and that seemed, you know, that seemed solid. That was definitely something tangible that I felt, you know, a contribution that I could make. Um, so, yeah, the, between then and now, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. Uh, I'm certainly not in that group of people that feels as if um, we need to, you know, shake these young people and and and. Uh, uh, it's almost as if some people, when they do that, they're trying to bring back that time and try to scare the hell out of younger people the way we were scared. And all I can say is I worked really, really hard so that people wouldn't be scared anymore. Right. You know, well, um, I, I am. Hard. I thank God that we're not living the way that we were then. I have to say, some of, it's been some of your own written words that um, that I look upon when I talk when I think about the youth. Um, you said something to the effect of that it is because of all the hard work that people like you and these other advocates and activists back then put forward and 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 put in that there is the apathy that we have in our youth today. And if that's what you know we get as a result of all the hard work, you know, so be it. Um, but we have to. Do, I'll take it. Yeah, you'll take it. Um, and so those, uh, I, I quote you often with that. Um, going back to the mark, uh, when you, you talk about those days of the 80s and, and, and early 90s, you're not only are you known for your HIV advocacy, but you're also known for you, your outspokenness on uh, your addiction issues. Um, did, were those issues, were they exasperated by your HIV addiction or I'm sorry, your HIV diagnosis or did, or did the addiction come before HIV? Um, I think I was, I was always a party boy. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And by that, I mean, you know, I just did what the gays were doing. You know, I drank in the seventies. I did some Coke in the eighties. I did the dance floor drugs in the nineties. And then after 2000, I did crystal meth. And that's what really brought me down. I think that before crystal meth, I, I, I would like to say I had a handle on it. In other words, you know, it was, it was Los Angeles. It was the eighties. Of course I did Coke, <laughs> you know, I, uh, at least, uh, you know, it wasn't unheard of, you know, it was socially acceptable, you know, in, in, in certain circles. So, um, it, but yes, um, I think what it wasn't so much the HIV diagnosis that, that um, accelerated my addiction. What accelerated my addiction is when AIDS, as we know it, ended in around 96 and 98. When the new, when combination therapy was introduced and suddenly we all got up off of our deathbeds and right. started to celebrate that, that's when my addiction kicked in. It was like that was when I let my guard down. And I said, gosh, darn it, we've gone through so much. I feel entitled to the party and the dance floor and the gym and the steroids and the party drugs. And, right. and that was my downfall. It's like I took, I, I let down my guard and, and, and just wanted to celebrate. And I felt so damn entitled to it. Um, but unfortunately for um, a blossoming drug addict like myself, it was the ruin, the ruin of me. And uh, and I just kind of dropped off the scene for a few years while I, you know, spent my time uh, getting high on crystal meth. Uh, speaking of which, this year, uh, this year, this week, this weekend, I have six years clean and sober. 
from Drug Oh, Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Six years. Thank you so well, much. Speaking of that six years, um, I, as an avid follower and reader of your blog, My Fabulous Disease, um, I know that one of the the factors in helping pull you out of that was your older brother. Yes. Yes, that's um, true. I have, a, I have a gay older brother. His name is Dick. So I have a gay <laughs> older brother, and his name is Dick King. Okay. Dick King. So that's let's just start there. Dick fantastic. King. That's his name. Uh, he's heard them all, so don't even try. And um, and he he is he is um, uh, much older than me. He's like 16 years older than me. So we didn't really know each other growing up. He was out of the house. We knew each other as adults, and we right. became very close when I moved to Los Angeles when I was uh, 20 years old. And he uh, had his partner, and they had a comfortable life there in Los Angeles. And we kind of got to know each other then as adults. And um, his partner um, died of AIDS, one of the first deaths that, that I went through. And that really brought us close together. And it wasn't long after that that my brother went into uh, rehab for alcohol and drug addiction. And, um, you know, he kind of fell off the deep end after, he, after losing his partner. And um, he has been my inspiration. I mean, he's always been my my role model, but he, uh, he's definitely, he's got 26 years or something clean and sober now. And so if you do the math, you know, I've only got six years. I've been trying to clean it up for 12 years. And so even during the time that I've had my blog and I was out there speaking and, and, and being a visible advocate, I had this secret, you know, I, I had this other life, the kind of this nocturnal dark existence, you know, of, of uh, this, this compulsion to do drugs and get high and escape. And, um, and so I had a lot of guilt and I, I feel so free today because people know my story and it's the truth and I don't have to hide out anymore. And I'm really exactly. grateful about that. Well, that's awesome. You know, Mark, one of the things that I um, love about you is your humor um, and, and your video blogs that you, you post, your, your blogs. Uh, the one that I remember uh, vividly that, that kind of made me fall off the chair laughing was the one you did about the butt pads. Um, <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Because it was hilarious yes. the way that you intertwined, like, was it, I think it was the younger you and the older you or the, the, the yes. current you, and you, like, interviewed mm-hmm. – uh, you know, where do you get your topics for your, you know, your, your blogs? And well, maybe you know, which ones are, are your favorite? You know, I, I, uh, my mission statement is joy because I didn't go through everything we just discussed only to live life uh, unhappily. You know, I'm so darn happy to be here. And, uh, and so I want a joyful existence and I want to, and I want to share that with other people and, and soak up the joy that other people have. So there's that. And, um, and whatever appeals to me, you know, I write about things that I find interesting or funny. Um, and I just have to hope that my audience comes along with me, you know, and, and so my, my target audience is me, <laughs> you know, people like me who, who might uh, also be going through the same stuff. And that video you're talking about, it was called uh, when my T cells are old and gray. So if anybody wants yeah. to Google when my T cells were old and gray, 
they'll come up with that video and it was basically through kind of slight of some a little magic uh with the video i'm i'm debating myself about growing older and yeah, it's um awesome. well and and the thing is is that i was so terrified about being uh, about to turn 50 i was so mortified that i was about to turn 50 i'll be 58 this year <laughs> you know, it's like, Are you still mortified? The, it, and I still have those same, I still have those same uh, insecurities. And uh, so it's, uh, you know, it, it never ends. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the other articles that you wrote actually this August uh, was the truth about the 7,000 and why people are still dying of AIDS, you know, because people say with now prep and uh, the U equals U and medicine, people are living longer that, you know, people aren't dying of it anymore. And the article that you wrote, uh, again, it was called The Truth About the 7,000, why, why Are People Still Dying of AIDS? It's something that really took storm online. Can you talk a little bit about why you decided to write about that? I, you know, I wrote about it because I lost a good friend um, uh, a few months back named Antron. And Antron was a young guy. He was actually appeared in some of my blog videos. We did this series called The Real Pause Guys of Atlanta. And it was a group of us who were living with HIV who would get together for dinner and we would, and we would film it all. And I'd edit it into a video. And Antron was like our, our little bird. He was like our little youngin. He was, you know, in his early twenties at the time. And he died at the age of 33 and nobody saw it coming. And he was an outspoken advocate. He appeared in national prevention campaigns as a person living with HIV He knew how to stay alive, but somewhere something happened and he just, um, whether, you know, it became too hard on him or he got tired of the meds or it was tougher to get to his doctor appointments. We don't know. We'll never know why. But what we do know is he died of Carposi sarcoma, which was the skin cancer that used to kill people in the 80s. And that just tells you that if you don't take your medications, you might as well be living in 1985 and you're going to die like it too. So it's so important that we, we do everything we can to support people who might be, and you know, and part of it, you know, what I explored in that article was the fact that for all the good news, you know, U equals U is tremendous. The fact that there's prep is tremendous. And we're having a moment where we're all so darn happy about it because there's so much to celebrate. It's like this big parade. Well, people are watching this parade from maybe a lonely place in their apartment, in their cell, in their hospital room, in their shelter, and they don't feel part of it. It feels too far off. And or they're afraid to say, I haven't been taking my medications I just missed doctor appointments and I got discouraged and I haven't made a new one. And I ran out three months ago. And these are not, you know, these are the people that make up the 7,000 people still dying in the United States every year of HIV related causes. And, um, and so it was kind of a reality check. It was kind of saying, yes, we have so much to, you know, we want to be undetectable and, and uh, U equals U and what wonderful news that is. And I guess I was just having a reality check saying, but half of us are not undetectable. Half of us with HIV in the United States are not, haven't achieved that yet. And, and, and they're working on it, but a lot of them have barriers to that. And we want to 
be able to, uh, we want to allow people to talk about that without feeling judged or shamed or like they're, they're failures, you know, to the rest of us. Because certainly they're not, because half of us aren't undetectable. And so, you know, what do we do to support everybody um, and, and give Antron the kind of support that maybe he needed? Maybe he was a little reticent to speak up and ask for help because he didn't want to feel like he was disappointing anybody that thought he was this strong advocate because, you know, we're talking about people like you and me, you know, who are on the scene, know what to do, know how to stay alive and, and something happens, you know, and, and, you know, it's a lot of work to stay, to stay healthy with HIV. There's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of commitment and doctor appointments and meds and co-pays and insurance and all of that stuff. And, um, you know, some people are better equipped than others yeah. to to uh, to do everything it takes. And and for those that are not as well equipped, we need to do what we can to help them. And that's what the article was about. Awesome, awesome, Mark. We're going to take a quick break and uh, shoot over to hear this week's HIV scoop with Josh Robbins. So we'll be right back. Okay, hold on. All right, and we'll be right back right after this break. This is the all-new HIV Scoop with Josh Robbins, exclusively for Pause I Am Radio. This week's buzzworthy sexual health news in under two minutes. Here's Josh Robbins with this week's HIV Scoop. What's up, everyone? I am Josh Robbins. This is the HIV Scoop, exclusively for Pause I Am Radio. Hope you guys are doing well. All right, according to Pause. Researchers are testing a new method for patients to have their HIV meds delivered by injecting them beneath the skin in a mix of ARV and other materials that harden into a removable implant, providing months of sustained HIV medication as it gradually dissolves. That's pretty cool. Tests in animals have been successful, and now it's time to test this method in humans. This could certainly help with adherence. Yes. All right, next. Remember the uh, HIV data breach by the Metro Health Department in Nashville? They left the EHARS file on a public employee server for nine months, and they got exposed by the media. Well, it now appears HHS Department of uh, Civil, well, their Civil Department or whatever they call it, Big deal. Anyway, they are investigating. This could lead to a monumental fine and penalty levied against the health department in Nashville. And I'll be honest, they deserve it. I mean, they absolutely deserve it. Don't you agree? All right. And finally, December the 7th is Save the Date for a new virtual HIV activism summit. Yeah, it's completely held online, so you don't have to travel anywhere, and it's free to attend. Super cool. More details next week, but shh, y'all, be quiet. It's a secret. It's a secret. I'm Josh Robbins. This was the HIV Scoop. Thank you, Josh Robbins, for that, my fellow Nashvilleian HIV advocate. Well, Mark, to go off of um, what we were just talking about with the the seven thousand 
um, I know I lost a dear friend named Greg Valdez, um, mainly because of the fact that he could not swallow pills. And um, I'll never forget my last visit with him in hospice um, before he passed away. Um, let's talk about these injectables. Um, you know, had these been around uh, in the time for Greg, that would have definitely um, saved his life. Uh, what's your opinion on these new injectables that they're talking about? I think anything that makes uh, treatment adherence uh, better or, and easier for people, I'm all for it. I, I, I know very little about the science of that, but I think that we always see these milestones. You know, we saw a milestone when it went from 30 pills a day to 10 pills to I take two pills now, hmm. two pills, right? you know, um, every morning. And so, you know, we see these milestones that make adherence uh easier and raises the number of those folks who are undetectable and uh, whatever we can do to help anybody take their meds. I'm all for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about you and in in your blog, you get to travel so much. What has been one of your favorite interviews that you've ever done? Oh my God. <laughs> oh my gosh. Ooh. Um, well, uh, well, the favorite interview I ever did wasn't even for my blog. It was for Foz Magazine, and that was with Larry Kramer. And, you know, I, I, I can only imagine. I've never, I'd never met him. I'd never gotten to meet Larry Kramer. And it was like, you know, uh, you know, Muhammad, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you find yourself in the same room with the guy, much less go to his apartment and sit in the, sit in the apartment where they founded Gay Men's Health Crisis. Sit in the room, sit in his living room where they founded Act Up, <laughs> you know, for, for uh, an, AIDS, you know, an AIDS history geek like me, um, to be able to have that opportunity was just amazing. And so, <laughs> actually, so the article I wrote for Pause Magazine really was more about me being freaked out and, and, and l- looking across the room at history um, th- than it was about Larry. Uh, well, I mean, it was a lot about Larry, but I-, I had to just incorporate the fact that I was just so blown away at that opportunity. And now I've seen him uh, uh, since then at various things. And I get to say, Larry, hey, hey, Larry, how's it going? How's David, your, your, your husband, you know, and I feel so fancy, you know, um, it's, uh, it was, um, it was, he wrote a novel. His first novel was called faggots and it was a real takedown on gay culture and promiscuity and all of that. And he wrote it before HIV ever happened. Um, that's why he's kind of got a reputation of being very sex negative and judgmental when it comes to the behaviors of gay men, because he's always felt that way, even before HIV came along. And I read that novel when I was 17 years old, when it came out, I had my first edition copy, which I happened to have in my bag when I went to see him. And wow, um, convenience. <laughs> yes, yes. But I mean, just, I was so scared to take it out. I was so scared to take it out and let him know. Um, and he was still, his eyes lit up. I, I finally said, I said, I got to tell you, I, I happen to have something in my bag. And, and I pull out, you know, this, this first edition of Faggots, and his eyes lit up. He was so excited. And, he, uh, and, and so he, he agreed to sign it for me. And, uh, and he, I have a picture of him signing this. And he said, what did you think of it? And I, I didn't expect that. And I, I said, um, 
Well, I said when I read it, it terrified me because I didn't see myself as one of those guys you're describing, one of these, you know, you know, promiscuous, sex-hungry, drug-taking guys. I was 17 years old, and I, right. I, I thought, that's not me. And then, as I told Larry, in about 10 years, that was me. <laughs> that yeah. was me. Yeah. I was those men in that book, you know, and um, how, you know, how prescient it was just to my own life. And then I happened to have the book I wrote, and I pulled that out too, and <laughs> and asked and, and gave it to him. I'd already signed it, and and so I I uh, I gave him my book, and his only remark was he looked at my picture on the back cover of the book, which is a lovely picture of me. I'm and looking at it says, right now. Oh well, and he and he he looks at the back of the book, and he looks at it, and he says, "How old is this book?" <laughs> I said, "Look, I wrote it ten years ago, so don't give me any shit." So, uh, well, have you have you have you uh, gotten to talk with him since and found out if he actually read the book? I don't know if he read it, but his husband did. His uh, uh, his husband on. David wrote it because I saw the two of them at some later date, and David had read it and enjoyed it very much. So, um, I don't know if I was too scared to ask if Larry's read it, so I'm going to leave it at that. I understand. Okay, I understand. Well, going from Larry Kramer, uh, one of my one of my personal favorites that I enjoyed watching you, um, some of the videos that you have done, came from when you were in Amsterdam, when you got to go behind the scenes <laughs> in the red box. Right. Yes. Video. Yes. <laughs> Tell me about that experience. Well, being. <laughs> well, I was so I lucky. I mean, you know, first of all, I just want to say that the blog is not a is you know people see me at these various events you know around the world i scrape together those sponsorship you know i like try i, I scrape and claw to find i don't get paid to do those i get i get right. i get to go i get to go you know and get and 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 that's that's honor enough but none of this is a money maker for me i mean i it costs me money to do my blog every every month yeah. it costs me money just to create the videos or, or uh, pay for the hosting of it. It's my contribution. Mm -hmm. It's my, just my contribution to our whole community dialogue. Um, and so I don't want people to think that I'm just a jet setter running around. But in this case, in Amsterdam, uh, Impact, Global Action for Gay Men's Health and Human Rights, they sponsored me to go there and create coverage. And their only direction was focus on gay men, and sex positive stories. And I said, in Amsterdam, I am so there. I am uh, so there. You betcha. I will be happy to. And I was lucky enough to get connected to the right guys before I got there. And they arranged a lot of my coverage. I went to the sex club, uh, which they opened just so that me and my crew could get in there and do a tour of the sex club. And I talked to a, an HIV wow. positive sex worker. A, a gay man who is HIV positive, who educates his clients on what it means to be undetectable in Amsterdam. I, it blew my mind. Uh, sex were, uh, uh, adult film stars who were on prep. I went to the bathhouse, which they also opened early so we could go in there. And they said, oh, by the way, we've invited about 20 of our friends to sit around in towels while we do the interview. <laughs> 
And I said, oh, great. And so in the background, there's all these hot guys lounging around in towels listening to us uh, talk about hepatitis C. So if you if you go to the blog and you'll see and scroll down, you'll find my coverage, the the video collection from AIDS uh, 2018 in Amsterdam, and it was a blast. It was a blast to meet gay men from all over the world and what they're doing back in their home countries to stop HIV or just to fight discrimination against gay men. Um, it was really an inspirational right. trip and a lot of fun. Good. Uh, right on. It looked like a lot of fun. You know, um, one of the other things that you do, um, are, are you still connected with the Paws Cruise? I am. I'm a big fan of the Paws Cruise. I haven't been in a couple of years. I was taking a break because I did it about six years in a row. I'm kind of their host and MC. Um, but it looks like I'll be back in 2019. We're leaving out of Fort Lauderdale, November 10th through 17th. And if you go to POZ Cruise or HIV, HIVcruise.com, you can uh, get the details about it. I, re- I really love it. It's a bunch of people living with HIV, taking over a boat, um, supporting each other, playing the dating game, being silly around the pool. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think it, it always looks like a lot of fun, but I'm afraid of cruises. Like, I'm afraid to be out on the water and look out and, and see nothing but water. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I hear I want you. Land to be, I want to see land somewhere where I can swim and make yes, it. Yes. <laughs> right. I can hear you, and I, I hear you. I know. It scares I, me. There's, I something spir- there's something beautiful and spiritual about it. There really is. It, it helps you see the enormity of this planet, and, uh, and I, I, I really enjoy it. And they keep you busy on board. You don't have to look out at the water. Just, you know, just focus yeah. on the, you know, focus on <laughs> what's, what's going, going on inside. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I know it's something that you've been doing for a while. And uh, like I said, I haven't seen you posting anything about it recently, but that makes sense if you took some time off. Um, one of the other uh, events that you were at recently was the USCA. Um, I know Brady was there. Can you tell us kind of what your takeaway from that conference was? As always with USCA, which is kind of like it's more my tribe than most of the other conferences in that these are people doing the work on the ground, working for aid service organizations or their case managers somewhere, you know, and gosh, you know, they're, they're just hardworking, dedicated people. And um, I, I'm just so inspired. I come away from there just from the conversations in the hallways and the people that you see, uh, you know, speaking in workshops and stuff, you know, I think to myself, I got it good. I, I just have to, I, I write and share my opinion and point of view about stuff. And, and that's a contribution, but these folks are like every day, eight to five face to face with people living with HIV who are newly diagnosed and trying to make sense of it. And, you know, golly, golly, you know, um, that's that's something. And uh, and I so I just I admire the people there so much. And, and I always walk away inspired. I, I, I loved the U equals U presence that was there. I loved the trans presence that was there in full force. Um, and uh, they put on quite they put on quite a conference. Oh, that's awesome. Um, one of the other things that a lot of people are afraid of is this uh, administration. Um, and living with HIV. Um, and w- what are your thoughts on, I guess, 
maybe somebody who's newly diagnosed and afraid of, you know, what may happen with this administration moving forward. Do you have any kind of, uh, I guess, maybe words of uh, I think that um, I think that um, they have every right to be afraid. I think that we all do. I think we all have yeah. every right to be afraid as we watch this country slide into fascism. I think that it is as bad as we think it is, and it has going, and that there's no reason to believe it won't get worse. That we're watching the civil rights um, of LGBT people, of immigrants, of of anybody that is not, um, you know, the gay white man re- leading the conservative, you know, conservative agenda. We all have reason to be afraid, and, and it's actually happening. We have. We basically have, um, you know, camp. We have camps for immigrant families and children. There are camps right now. We haven't had camps like that since World War II. We have camps. Right. We have new laws that say you can't come into the country if we think that you might need assistance with food stamps or with social services. If we think that you'll need any social services, you can't come. In other words, we're not going to do anything to support the immigrant looking for uh, a better life uh, who, is esca- who are escaping, you know, uh, discrimination or worse from their home countries. You know, th- these are uh, asylum seekers, um, and they're not welcome here because they might eat social services up while they're getting on their feet. I, I could go on and on. The fact is, is that we live in a really dangerous country now. That's why there's a lot of advocacy about the fact that the next international conference in 2020 is scheduled to take place in San Francisco. And there's a lot of advocacy around do not have this international conference serving gay men, immigrants, women, trans people, uh, sex workers, uh, people who do drugs. All of those are constituencies of the International AIDS Conference, and all of those groups participate vigorously in the International AIDS Conference. You see sex workers. You see advocates for people with addiction problems. You see all of those. First of all, who can afford San Francisco? How, how in the world are you going to expect people who are uh, uh, disenfranchised and marginalized to begin with to be able to afford a hotel room in San Francisco? And why in the world would you have it in a country that has made itself so inhospitable to all of those uh, groups. Uh, And so there's a lot of advocacy going around demanding that the location of that conference be changed. It sounds like a big task. It's really not. uh, I was just going to say, you even have a blog um, that you just recently put out on My Fabulous Disease about this. Didn't you, Mark? Yes, I did, about how they're 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 welcoming all the right people meaning all the white people, all the people that can afford San Francisco and their pharmaceutical sponsors are all welcome in San Francisco for that international conference. Unfortunately, people living with HIV worldwide um, for a number of reasons won't be able to attend, and they're really silencing the voice of people living with HIV by having it there. And uh, I'm, I'm... vehemently against it and and so are a lot of other people appreciate you mark um we are about to run out of time but i want to take a few seconds just to thank you mark for for especially in these darker times being that that light and that humor 
out there and able to, to shed light also on, like you said, even on these joyous moments of the equals you time to make a stop and reflect um, and look at the other side, the side where it's not getting the spotlight or putting a spotlight where there's not normal light being shown. Um, so thank you for recording that for us and thank you for being that voice. It's much appreciated. You are so welcome, Brady. And are you registered to vote? I am. You better yeah. believe I am. I'll- Okay, that's the best thing anybody listening can do if they want to have their voice heard and be an activist, an HIV activist, or any kind of activist. Make sure you're registered and vote. That's right, Mark. Thank you so much again. And I just want to say that um, I love you, and I think you're an awesome guy, and I can't wait to see (laughs) you again soon, okay? Robert, I love you too. You know I'm a huge fan. All right, man. Have a good day. Okay, you too. Right, Thanks, guys, Mark. more information on today's guest, go to um, markusking.com. I do want to bring up that uh, next week we will be speaking with uh, our friend Katie Willingham, and then the following week on the 28th we'll be speaking with uh, Billy Willis III. So uh, tune in for that. Brady, um, I wanted to get in a little bit about Nashville, but we're kind of running out of time. So uh, I had a great show. Uh, Mark was amazing, and I, I, I can't wait uh, for next week. Uh, doing the show with you has been the highlight of my week. Uh, always, always, Robert. and um... Thanks for bringing me on as your co-host. It has been a pleasure, and I can't wait to talk to Katie next week. You all, um, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, and I'll be playing a little bit of uh, the Positively Fearless uh, campaign that I'm with, and then we'll be out. So we'll see you all next week. Thanks for tuning in. Life isn't meant to be perfect. It's meant to be lived. Freely. Boldly, fearlessly. It's meant to honor all that we are. Vibrant, beautiful, resilient, and HIV positive. Yes, the road can be tough, but it's worth it. We are worth it. And our stories matter. Together, we are redefining what it means to live with HIV. We are accepting ourselves, loving ourselves, and caring for ourselves. Fully and openly because making thoughtful choices enables us to live the lives we want to lead together we are facing every challenge and celebrating every success we are looking toward the future with purpose and promise and we're showing others what is possible when we when we when we are positively fearless Thanks for listening to Pause I Am Radio, your dose of hope. Connect with the show at pauseiamradio.com or on social media, and we'll see you next time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.